Our gospel lesson today gives some good instruction, and at the very conclusion of it, it says, wherever two or three are gathered together, I am there in the midst of them, or among them. I think that clergy quote this verse with some frequency, and actually do it when there's a small crowd at worship. That's when they think to refer to this piece of scripture, and they say, well, you know, where two or three are gathered, right? Maybe that's where you've heard it. Or when we start to have a meeting or something and people aren't on time, then we might remember this first. Well, where two or three are gathered, and then so we decide to start and go ahead with the meeting. I'm guessing that not many folks that aren't clergy really refer to this verse very often. Am I right? I mean, I imagine you don't say it when you're at an office meeting and people are a little bit late, right? You don't say, well, there are two or three of us here and you know where two or three are gathered. So maybe it's just the clergy that remember this particular line of scripture. But if we work backwards, there are some other interesting pieces that are within Matthew's gospel this morning. Going back just a couple of lines before it, we hear Jesus say to his disciples, Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Wow. Do people know about this verse? Do we, should we tell anyone? I remember this verse brings such an image to my mind at high school, in high school at a youth retreat a church youth retreat, standing in line, and I was, had developed a friendship with this particular guy on this um, weekend, and he was very, um, well, really skinny. And, um, you know, long and limbs and everything. And for those of you that don't know, I was studying ballet with the idea of doing it professionally, and I don't have the physique for a professional dancer, ballet dancer, but he did. And um, he was a little self-conscious because he was so bony and long and lanky, and he wished he had more meat on his bones. And so we realized that we had the, each other's bodies. I really wanted his shape, and he really wanted mine. And he said to me, well, you know it says in the Bible, if two agree about anything. <laughs> and I said, wow. That's what I always think of when I see this verse and hear this verse in scripture. And so I wonder about him sometimes. I think, well, I wonder if he's got more meat on his bones now. Because we did agree. I mean, I've made peace with the way I look, so maybe I could say that my prayer has been answered. But what does it mean if two of you agree about anything and you ask my Father in heaven, he'll give it to you? I started to think about the things maybe that a couple of us might agree on here at St. Stephen's. I think about our annual budget conversations, and I think there are at least two people, right? At least two people who would like to see a balanced budget without relying on the endowment, right? Do I have two people here? There's one, two, three. Wow. So maybe we should take Jesus at his word and say, wow, if we agree on anything and ask, it will be done for us by the Father. What else might a couple of people agree upon? peaceful conversation around political matters. There's probably a couple people here, right, that agree on that. Maybe there's personal strife or family strife. 
Maybe you have a prayer for someone and another person has a similar prayer. I think often divorced parents have to, they both agree on the health of their children. So, when Jesus tells his disciples, if two of you agree on anything and ask, my father will give it to you. In this piece of scripture, Jesus is reminding us of our co-creation with God of our reality. You go back to the verse right before it, and Jesus tells his disciples, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Does this remind you of John's gospel when Jesus comes in after the resurrection, comes in among the disciples and breathes on them and says, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. Now, Matthew's gospel was written before John's gospel was written, but both of them were written decades after the resurrection of Jesus. And this was a point that people remembered from Jesus' teaching, that they were given the authority to co-create the future. And so Jesus lays out, going back even a little earlier in our gospel lesson this morning, lays out some instruction for how to create a future that's life-giving. And he does it with something that every single person in this room can access. There's not a one of us that is exempt from the applicability of today's gospel. Right? All of us have had wrongs done to us. All of us have done wrongs to another. So this gospel is extremely relevant to each of us. We can take it with us right outside of the church, tuck it under our arm, put it in our pocket, fold it and put it in the purse. And if you drop it, it's worth picking up again because it's hard to remember. If somebody sins against you, go and talk to that one. And if they don't listen, then maybe bring a couple of other people. And if they still don't listen, then bring the church. I find it an interesting piece of instruction as if the church could speak as one unified voice because I haven't been in any church where everyone's in agreement about something. But what Jesus is emphasizing here is the ability to co-create the future, that we do co-create the future with him. With God, the living God, we make the future. It's not already preset and we just step into the next day nor are we in control of it all. Jesus is pointing out here that we are in relationship with the living God, and he's giving some instruction to do that well. Now, I dare say that frequently when we read the instructions of Jesus, we treat it like an owner's manual or something, and we, we, we walk off with it. We kind of leave Jesus behind. We say, oh, yeah, okay, good, I got this, I got this. And then we head out. And I imagine Jesus saying, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you on it. I want to be in your life. I want to be in relationship to you. I mean, it, it's in plain language, but it's a little bit harder sometimes than it appears. And even though we can read it in if-then statements, there's usually a variable that we didn't anticipate. My friends, the living God assures us of God's presence with us in it all. When God invites us to co-create the future, 
God assures us that we don't do it alone. God reminds us that he is in every day and moment with us. If two are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. Consider the ramifications of that. What if you do take a moment to notice that God's in the midst of you when you are with another person? What if you do take a moment to consider how God might be working with us and inviting us to work with him in creating the future? You see, I see that this is a consistent thing of the living God throughout all our sacred texts. We're reminded of God's aliveness and desire to be in relationship with us. I'll tell you a few things that you already know, and I'm probably going to get the chronological order messed up, but don't worry about that, unless you want to worry about that, and then you can tell me later. But beginning in Genesis, God is in the garden with Adam and Eve, right? He wants to be among them and with them. And it's when they become, when they disobey him, that they pull away from him. And he said, what? What's going on? Right? Or think about the stories of Noah or Moses, where God calls them by name and is in relationship with them. Think about Abraham, the father of all nations. And God says to Abraham, speaks to Abraham, to see the stars in the heavens, your descendants will be of that number. As I already said, God speaks to Moses in the burning bush. Do you remember the prophet Eli, Elijah and the, or Eli and the boy Samuel? When Samuel hears God say to him, well, he says, he hears his name, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and goes to the, to the priest Eli and Eli says, no, I didn't call you, go lay down. And Samuel hears his name again, and he goes back to the priest Eli, and Eli says, no, I didn't call you. Go lay down. And then he hears his name again, and he comes, and that's when Eli says, oh my gosh, that's God talking to you. Over and over and over again, the living God is in relationship with God's creation, and that's the desire of God's heart, to be in relationship with us, not for us to go off and live our life according to some good instructions, checking off the boxes, doing it all right, getting an A. No, God wants to be in relationship with us. And the beautiful thing is God will use just the very items of our life to be in relationship with us. We don't even have to treat it as an extracurricular activity. God says, look, let's talk about conflict. I'll work with you there. Whatever it is that your life is filled with, I will be there in the midst of you. And there is our invitation. You know, I heard on the news this week, um, with all of the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, a woman speaking about, you know, the community's response to the terror that is there as the result of all that water. And you could hear her voice get choked up about the ways in which people were caring for each other, and she was moved by the demonstration of that. And she said, you know, it's, a, it's unfortunate that this event had to happen in order for us to 
be this way to each other. And I couldn't talk to her because she was on the radio being interviewed. But I talked to her in my car. And I said, but this is the only time it would be revealed. This is God being made known in your midst. Different circumstances call for different things. But the living God is among you. And this is the promise and the revelation that you're discovering in the ways that you care for Christ and one another. You find a whole new way that God is even with you in that. God's not waiting for us to have a sunny day in our life together so that we can be in relationship with God. God says, I will work with every part of your life, all of it, whatever it may be. If you will, be, will but consider that I'm present, you will discover that I am. If we would take him at his word, what would our life be like if we would take Jesus at his word? Indeed, the power of God is terrible and could do all kinds of things and maybe sometimes does, even when we don't understand it. But that same power is the very thing that redeems all things and that allows and transforms the hell into a beautiful picture of reality. That is the promise we find in Jesus. God's been that way all along, but we couldn't get it until God came among us and looked us in the face and told it to us straight. And so will we take him at his word? One of my um, favorite hymns, which I was afraid I might not remember because it's the third stanza, says this very thing. For the love of God is broader than the measure of the mind. And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our love were but more faithful, if our love were but more faithful, we would take him at his word. And our life would be thanksgiving for the goodness of the Lord. Maybe that's where we start our prayer for today. Maybe for this week. How can we, Lord, learn to take you at your word? That you want the best for us in ways we didn't even imagine. And that you invite us to co-create that with you. And that you are with us always. I wonder, and I hope that you might play around with it and discover. I wonder if that was the prayer for you, if that was your prayer this week, that you might take Jesus at his word, what you might discover in your daily life, where you might discover the living God in your midst, and where you might discover that God is working with you to make the future that God calls us into. Amen.